0: Welcome to the Jill on Money Coronavirus Market Update. We are presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. So these are our daily podcasts, and we are trying to stay in touch with you because these are extraordinary times. Every single day, we're answering your questions and trying to give you a quick recap of the day's news. I was a little dismayed when I saw this. And maybe it's just because I'm an old fart and brands mean something to me. Macy's announced that it is furloughing most of its 125,000 employees. I just thought that was such a stunning number. You know, this is Macy's, Bloomingdale's, Blue Mercury. These stores have all been shut down since March 18th eight weeks ago or so, the company said it was going to close 125 stores and lay off 2,000 workers. And we thought that was a big deal. Well, this this is just mind-blowing. It just so happens, by the way, that Macy's, I think, was pretty smart about this, that earlier this month, they had borrowed $1.5 billion, with a B, billion dollars to help sort of get itself through the pandemic's impact. But you know, hopefully these folks will get back to work. Macy said that they are, these furloughed employees will get their health insurance at least through May, thank God. And they hope to bring back most of these folks, what they called on a staggered basis as the um, business improves. It's just a real, it's a shame. And these people are going to need some help. So, that's the Macy's news. That's a total um, buzzkill. There. What else was the bad news of the day? Okay, I'm gonna. I'll save you the good news. But the other crazy news that we got that is just so upsetting to me is we got information from the St. Louis Federal Reserve Bank. This is a very esteemed bank. They do a ton of research, and. The uh, economists there at the Fed St. Louis District project that total employment reductions could be unbelievable, uh, 47 million jobs. I just want you to pause on that. Our labor force is only about 160 million. This is a a 30-some percent unemployment rate. That's how bad it could be. It's not a what it will be. This is what it could be. So this is an estimate, and this would be um, three times worse than the peak of where we were in 2008, 2009. And just to be put it in context, a 30% unemployment rate would be higher than the Great Depression peak of just nearly 25%. Now, the good news is that even in this analysis, it's horrible, but it's brief. So that would be the good news. And so maybe, just maybe, that's why stocks continue to rise. And today, Monday, as we record this at 4.22 p.m. Eastern Time, we see that markets traded higher by about 3%. So building on last week, we see the S&P 500 up about three and a third percent the NASDAQ's up over 3.5%, the Dow's up over 3%. All that's good news. Do you think that this is it? It's over for the the bad news for the stock market? I don't know. I can't tell you that. I just don't know. What I do know is that the hardship will continue for real people. And so that is why we are going to keep answering your questions. So let's start with a question from Ryan, who wants to start by thanking us for the daily podcast during the pandemic. Should I be investing as much as possible during this time? I'm 29. My wife is 28. We have a six-week-old baby. We aren't worried about the losses because we have the view that we're investing for 35 more years. And if the market doesn't recover by then, we'll probably have much more to worry about. That's for sure. We have about 10 months of living expenses in savings, having been saving for a new used car to buy in cash, so the amount is taken into account. I don't think I will lose my job, but I can't guarantee it during this time. In my traditional IRA, I've got $3,000 cash, uninvested, 3,100 in bonds, and those have only gone down by 2%. In my Roth, I have about $3,000 And it's down a couple percent. My wife's Roth has four or five thousand. Should I be investing all the cash now into index funds? I actually had much more cash when this crash started, but I already invested about five thousand of it. Then I paused to wonder if I was making a mistake. All the cash I invested in the index is now down between five and fifteen percent. I was buying in small batches. We could add up to five thousand dollars more in our Roth IRAs for 2020. What would you recommend? So here's the deal. I think what would be really smart is that you've now put some money in. Why not just dollar cost average in over the next few months? You could do it maybe $1,000 a month for the next five months, or you could do... $2,500 a month for the next couple of months. Pick an amount, pick a time and slowly put this money to work so that you're ending up with a portfolio that's going, you already have the bonds. You can be buying stocks. And I think that this is a perfect thing for you to do right now. In fact, in a weird way, you probably would have been just fine putting it all to work. I know it would have been down, but it would have been a done deal. It would have stunk for a couple of months, but I think you're going to be fine. I wouldn't be surprised if the market starts to attempts to drop lower, test the lows that we saw uh, a week and a half ago. But that said, doesn't matter for you. Like you said, 35 years in the future, who cares? You have the time to wait this out. So I say, pick some dollar amount or pick some time by which you want this to be invested and get the money to work and you'll be fine. Okay. This is Rachel who says... My partner and I are those typical millennials. We've jumped around from job to job every couple of years. I have a few questions about how we should plan for retirement since we aren't able to take the employer retirement contributions with us. We've got no debt. We're 26. We want to buy a house in two years. Our combined income is $95,000. At my current job, I'm part of the state retirement pension system. I'm mandated to contribute 6.5%. My employer contributes another 6.75% of my salary, which is $55,000 a year. The employer contribution is vested over five years. My partner contributes 5% to his 401k. His employer contributes 4%. But we might leave these jobs before the five-year vesting period. Here are my questions. When I leave my job before five years, if I leave my retirement account money in the system, I can keep the employer match. If I withdraw it, I can only take my contributions and the interest earned. At first thought, it makes sense to leave the money. However, I have no control over how it is invested, which makes me nervous. Should I take it or leave it? Hmm. And then the second question is, since the market tanked, my partner and I thought it would be a good time to start an IRA and combine our previous employers' retirement accounts. We're trying to determine how much we should contribute to a personal IRA And I want to round out our our retirement contributions to 15%. Should we include the employer's match in our 15%? No, you shouldn't. You should be putting 15% yourselves. So let me start with that. Um, We're also saving for a down payment. For a house, I don't want to type too much money. What would you recommend we contribute? Why do you have to buy a house? What's the buying the house in two years? That seems to me the big problem that I see. What's the rush? You know, you'd have to put down 20% to get the best mortgage rates. And are you sure you really, considering that you jump from job to job to job, that seems like maybe this is not the best time for you to actually buy a house. I want to know more. Here's my general thought. My thought is, are you sure you're going to leave the state retirement pension system because it's a damn good system? Would it make sense for you to try to stay in that system until you're vested? You know, five years doesn't seem like that long, does it? I don't know. I want to know more about you guys. I want to know why you want to buy a house and I want to know if I can convince you not to. So can you follow up with me and maybe Mark we can wrangle them to get them to talk to us. I feel like I want to talk them off this idea. Got a follow up to a question. The question was even with the economy going down, you think it's safe to put money into a loan payment rather than keeping it in our bank account. This was a question about federal student loans and I was just saying that if you still have, if you have money and you are steady salaried now and you have the cushion that's built up, I think it's really good to start to use the idea that you have this grace period from the federal government and use this time to pay down the loan that you have. That to me would seem really smart if you can afford it. Eric uh, writes, I'm equal partners with two optometrists in a private practice in Connecticut. The practice is 45 years old, financially stable. However, with the pandemic, we had to furlough our employees so they can collect unemployment and we can keep the business financially strong enough to weather this storm. We're only open to see emergency patients. Our daily business income has been hammered. We have a line of credit with $58,000 remaining on an original $90,000 loan. The money we have not used is not related to the current situation. It's from equipment purchases, et cetera. We're considering taking out an SBA loan under the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. My two-part question is about the risk I'm taking with my partners in this loan. My wife and I have no personal debt except our mortgage. We have well over six months of emergency funds. My wife is a school counselor, so she is still getting paid her salary and her job is safe. My younger partner has a high mortgage, still has student loan debt and buying into the practice. The other is about two years from retiring. So here's one, from what I understand, the SBA loan, like others, if the business were to go under, we would each be on the hook for the amount we borrow as a total. Yes, that's right. You're not, you're not one third each, you're joint and severally liable. So if one person doesn't pay, the two are actually on the hook. Absolutely true. Here's a question also. What would happen if one partner was unable to pay? The other two would be responsible for the payment. Would that ever happen? Yes. Uh, He says, I can't believe I'm asking that question. So yes, you're joint and severally liable because you're a partnership. But the question really is the loan programs that are out there through the SBA allow for you to have this loan forgiven if you keep the people employed over these eight weeks. So I'm going to encourage you to um, look at our website and, you know, this, I know this is like such a hard time for people. And it's like the last thing you want to do is like do this. But um, if you go to the resource section at Jill on Money, and you can see that there's um, a very, we have a link to the Small Business Administration. And there's a PPP called the paycheck protection program and then there's the economic injury disaster loans and there are bridge loans and I think that it would be helpful for you to start looking through these programs and seeing which one actually makes the most sense that's what's really important you know again if you if you have this plan you will get some relief about principal and interest so that if things go on longer than you expect then hopefully all three of you can get through this but I think you guys are going to really have to look hard at this. The hard credit inquiry and in your credit score. I the question is, you know, what would happen should I should I refinance first? I would say this, if I could right now, refinance your mortgage first and then do the SBA loan. And you can start the process of doing the SBA loan, but I think it's going to be a while. I'd rather you just get your, your own refi done as quickly as possible. I think that would make most sense. Uh, okay. Eddie writes, family of four, my wife and I are self-employed in a tiny business with low overhead. Our combined income is, he says, weighs in at a hefty $30,000 annually. Our only debt is our mortgage. It has $47,000 remaining at 3.375%. Our retirement accounts are a bit behind, 120 grand between us. The majority is in money markets because I cashed out 85% early this month from equity funds when they were down just 5% on the year. I typically do not time the market. This situation was extraordinary. I want a dollar cost average back in soon. I know it's almost impossible to call a bottom, but that's not my question. I'm desperate to pay off our mortgage. I am able to pull out $22,000 in contributions penalty free. I've already transferred um, the money and I'm going to apply this Is am I crazy? Yeah, you're crazy. You're crazy because you don't have enough liquidity. I mean, I almost would prefer if you're getting the money back in the market, that's fine. Do that. But why do you feel like you have to pay off this mortgage? The mortgage is cheap. It's manageable. You're okay. You're making things work. But the problem is that I know you say by removing the mortgage, you could get by, by a, uh, on very little income. The big problem I see is that you just won't have enough liquidity. What if you need that cash? And what if the time you need that cash, the mortgage rates are higher? So uh, I don't know. I really, I, I really don't think that's a good idea. This is a time where you hang on to your money. You don't pay down debt like at this moment. This is when you sort of, pull back in you retrench you keep your money liquid it's okay to put your money back in the market i think that's fine maybe you got lucky it's great but no now don't don't take that very excellent stroke of luck and make it a bad idea by paying down your mortgage you cannot get the money back nicole writes a big Thank you to you and Mark for your new daily episodes. They mean so much to me and provide some much needed routine. My question is not so much a question, something for all of us to ponder. I have a high school senior who plans to attend college in the fall. I'm starting to wonder what challenges students might face in the fall if the virus has not yet settled down. Specifically, how colleges and universities will be charging families if students cannot move to campus. I feel like I've thought about everything as the parent of a child headed to college. I have not considered footing the bill for distance learning, which really doesn't feel like it makes sense. I wonder if you've thought about this or heard anyone in your community think this through. Thank you again, Nicole in Boston. Nicole, I have been thinking about this, and in fact, I talked to a friend of mine who um, used to be a college admissions officer um, and asked her about this because I'm very interested in a couple of things. Number one, parents who get their financial aid letters and awards and families, that's usually based on last year, and life is turned upside down this year, and so I think a lot of people are going to have a hard time paying for school. The second thing is for all these people, including some of whom are re- relatives of mine, you're going to have a hard time because I, I've heard the, this, this argument, well, you know, I, my kid didn't have room and board for the last three months of school, so why should I have to pay for it? I just don't think that the colleges and universities are going to refund that. But what I do think this does is start to put into stark contrast the idea of what you get for the money you're paying in that education. And I think this might start other conversations that maybe, yeah, maybe um, distance learning isn't the greatest thing in the world, but maybe paying 30, 40, 50, 60, sometimes $70,000 a year for that great college experience, maybe that's not worth it either. Maybe that's a bridge too far for many families. I think we have to have really very important conversations now about whether we think this is worth it. And we, meaning as a society and as families, I was just talking to somebody today, somebody who I work with at CBS, and this person said to me that says, oh, my son got into three different universities. One, they can shoulder pretty well. The other two, 70 grand a year, no money available. And you know what? 70 grand a year after taxes, is a lot of money. And I said, I just don't think you can manage it. And you got to have these hard conversations. All right, Stephanie writes. Um, thanks for what you do. I finally got a four hundred one k plan at age fifty six going for myself. After spending thirty years raising a family, taking a household, and only working part time, I'm recently divorced and single. I was thrilled to see my plan go up in value. I did try to take a more aggressive, higher risk to make up for lost time. Now, in light of everything, I'm in sales. Commissions have been halted. Should I reallocate and choose more conservative plan? Any advice is greatly appreciated. Mark. Should we get more conservative now or wait? What's the idea here? I mean, I don't know what to say, Stephanie. I feel terrible. This notion that people have like, oh, I'm starting late, so I should take more risk. That is not the right idea. The idea is I'm starting late and I've got to be really careful because this is all the money I have in the world. That's what this is about. If you can't sleep at night, then reallocate it and just get it done. And hopefully it's not too much money since you just started, but God, did you just learn a rotten lesson? And that is uh, being more aggressive is really great as long as the market's going up and it's really rotten on the way down. Lori writes, "Uh, I'm retired at 64, collecting retirement and social security, my home and vehicle both paid for. I have around $10,000 in my checking account and in my something around $40,000. I'm not sure what that is. It looks like a credit union. I was thinking about taking about $10,000 out to invest for inheritance for my children and grandchildren for just a little extra after a pass. My $40,000 is, is in a savings performance money market. If you could give me advice about what I should do with the extra money, stock, bond, CD, at my age, I don't think I want anything high risk. Sincerely, Lori. Lori, you know what? If you don't want high risk, don't do anything. Let your kids take care of it. If your kids need help, you're going to want that money to be stable. If you don't like investing and you're really uncomfortable, this is not a great time to just jump in. This is a really scary time. So be careful, okay? David says in the next few months, he'll be retiring. He's going to receive a lump sum $23,000. I'm wondering where to invest the money with zero fees, where it will make a few dollars and be safe. My wife um, and I want to have access to it anytime we want without penalty. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a great and healthy day, David. Well, if you don't want fees, you either have the choice of putting money in sort of a high yield checking, savings, money market account. You can go to depositaccounts.com for that. You can go to our sponsor, Marcus. They've got you know online savings accounts as well. Um, if you want to be able to invest it, you know it's hard. He wants to make he wants to make a few dollars and be safe. Yeah, I mean, Mark says that sounds like a CD to him. I mean, so that's not an investment. That's a, a higher yielding savings vehicle. I don't think you really want to put money in the stock market. I don't think you really want to be putting money even in the bond market. So go to depositaccounts.com. Go check out the different things that are available for you there. Again, if you know you don't like risk, then do not take risk. John and Mary. Oh, I feel very holy right now. Uh, Dear Jill Schlesinger, we just wanted you to know we are fans Whenever you come on CBS or we see you on other programs, we stop and we watch. Your advice is generally spot on. <laughs> Thank you. Keep up the good work, John and Mary. Hey, John and Mary, thanks for writing. And I think generally I try to do a good job, but you know I don't always get it right. If you're listening to this right now and it's early in the morning, hey, I'm going to be on CBS this morning. I'm going to be talking about those Macy's layoffs, those furloughed employees at Macy's. So check out your local CBS television station. Otherwise, keep sending us your emails. Keep telling us what's on your mind. Keep passing along this podcast to people that you know and love so that you don't have to answer their questions. We'd love to help all of you guys out. The email address is askjill at jillonmoney.com. And of course, be sure to go on to the Jill on Money website. Go to the resource section, and we're continuing to put some resources up there for you guys around the pandemic, the lifeline from Congress, some of the FAQs from the New York Times, uh, the guide for small businesses. So we're, we're trying to help you out. If you need more than that, well, of course, just send an email. and We have a contact button in the upper right-hand corner of the website. Thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you tomorrow.